Sometimes it's hard to believe in hope when we're so stuck in pain and grief that we can't see the reality and the truth that hope is in the midst of the valleys that we're walking through. And that's the the backdrop of the story today of the I Am um, statement that we're going to explore that Jesus declared that he is the resurrection and the life, that Jesus was some miles away and received a report that one of his best friends was, was sick, and he knew that that was going to end in death. But instead of coming when he got the text, he stayed for two more days. And when he was there, he declared to his disciples, the sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God. The God's son may be glorified through it. And if you know the story, Lazarus dies, and then Jesus and his disciples then head to their town. And that's where we pick up the story from where we're going to be looking at it in Luke 11, starting in verse 17 today. That on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been dead and in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. But when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, and Mary stayed home. Martha goes out to meet Jesus in the midst of her pain. Martha, the one that always seems to be full of activity, she hears he's coming and she goes out to meet him in the midst of significant pain. And I wonder how often do we run to Jesus first when we're struggling the most with the pain that we have. Sometimes instead of running to him, I wonder sometimes if we run from him, or we blame him, or we become bitter with him. We do sometimes a number of things before we come to him. But Martha, in the midst of significant pain and loss, goes to Jesus. says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, My brother would not have died. And I interject that word only, if only. If only you had been here. I think that tells us a lot of the grief and the pain that she's going through. And this, I think this phrase is filled with both a little bit of, maybe a little some frustration, but also of hope. If only. If you had been here. And I think sometimes we say the same thing. That statement, if only, often looks to go back, thinking we could change something to change the present and the future. If only. If only. And think about that in some of the pain of your life. If only I had studied more for school. If only I would have kept my mouth shut. If only I actually would have said something. If only he would have called an Uber. If only I knew how to forgive. 
If only we would have left five minutes later or five minutes sooner. If only he would have reached out for help before he perpetuated. If only they could have sought peace. If only they could have yelled less in our house. You see, sometimes we, if only, wanting to go back and change something in history that because it's unchanged led to profound pain in the present. Jesus, if only you, if only you. But it's interesting, Jesus stepped out of time into humanity at this point into the presence to give us a true hope for the future. That Jesus is redeeming our past and transforming our present and giving us an absolute hope of a future. But we still get caught up because of the reality of sin. See, if only looks backward while I am works in the future or in the present and profoundly changes the future. I am versus if only. The wishful thinking that we have, but the hopeful truth that he brings. If only versus the I am. Lord, if you, if you would have been here, you could have done something, and now it's too late. I love movies. Um, I love 80s movies. Uh, there was a, a great movie that was released on Friday, at least per my view, um, of Top Gun 2. I've been waiting 37 years, two years, whatever 1986 is, minus whatever year this is. But I also love in the 80s, Back to the Future, and that series, right? That's what's going on here, right? Marty, you have to come with me, Back to the Future, because your kids are a mess. Change it. Fix it. Don't bring that book. Get the book. That's the whole movie. To go back to change the future. Martha would have loved that movie. And if only you'd have fixed the flux capacitor and gotten here. If only. But I know. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. That in spite of what we don't understand, we still believe you are the Messiah and because of your relationship with God and the fact that you are God, you can still do something about it. And she has this profound statement or affirmation of faith. But you're here now. Because you are. And I wonder how often and how is it that we maintain faith in Jesus despite our lack of understanding or the circumstances 
especially amidst the deep emotional loss. Because this equation is true. But when we're in the midst of the pain, we're in the midst of the brokenness, we're in the midst of the hurt, we don't believe this statement is fully true. God, are you really bigger than my circumstances? God, are you really able to make profound, lasting, core change? God, is this too big for even you and your DeLorean to fix? But it's true. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over the circumstances of our life. We don't understand them. We don't understand his plan, but it doesn't mean it isn't true. And it also doesn't diminish the heartache of the circumstances because they are true. We still go through the pain of the moment that God is still sovereign over, but he's still sovereign. That in the face of tremendous sorrow and death, grief and heartache still sting. Amidst great pain in life, the hurt continues to come like waves of an ocean. That despite horrific injustices, the anger and the questions still rage. And confronted by significant loss, hope feels like a fleeting dream, but God is still greater than the circumstances. And the emotions are still ours and are still real. And both are real together. Jesus answers her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. The general faith for the future is easier than specific faith for the present trial. Yeah, I know the future. That doesn't help me in the present. It's easier to believe that someday God will work amongst our trials rather than to believe that he's presently working in and through them. And he is. Because we, I, still want to find a shortcut that eliminates the pain. He will rise again. You will see your brother again. I know that. But then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Jesus says, I am, not I'm going to resurrect and I'm going to bring life. And he does, but he says, I am the resurrection and the life that it's found in a person, the person of Jesus Christ that is establishing this new life for those who would believe both spiritually and physically. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And resurrection is the power of God at work to give new life. 
He gives eternal life and he continues to mature our lives in this life. He says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Lazarus had died. That at that point of believing, eternal life spiritually starts that moment. And hope is rooted in the person and the power of the Father and of the Son, Jesus, to bring life out of death. You know, I, I was thinking about this and just, the again, the, the work of the cross and the work of the grave that... You know, sometimes you you make a payment, you can make a significant payment, and then you get that confirmation that the payment went through. It's kind of like the work of the cross and the grave, the, the work of the cross, the payment was paid in full, and then the cross gives birth to the empty tomb, which is the validation that, no, the payment was sufficient and there is new life. But yet in this world, we still have to deal with the reality of death, of sin. And Jesus goes on and says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And I love this. He he says, do you believe this? They're having this profound theological conversation. Then he asks, like any, any good conversation should ask at the end, like you've heard me, right? Do you believe this? Is just this theory for you or what you've been taught in school? Or do you actually believe this in your heart? So we ask Martha. It's the same thing that we have to face today. Do we believe this? There's been a number of gravesides that I've preached this same verse asking the members of family members, I have no idea. Have you dealt with this question? Do you believe? Do you believe? And she replies, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. She has a profound answer of understanding the context of who he is as the great I am. And she says, yes, I believe. Martha was believing what John wants all of his readers to believe. If you go to the end of the book of John in uh, chapter 20, verse 31, the whole reason John wrote was that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, so you might have life in his name that people would believe. And so she believes. She still doesn't understand the power that's in her presence. She doesn't know what power is about to be unleashed in just a few minutes. But she believes that God in the person of Jesus is present and has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside and says, the teacher... The rabbi is here, and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still the same place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting comforting her 
noticed that she quickly got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary had reached the place where Jesus saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only, if only you'd been here. They're both feeling significant pain. They both are in the same presence of the Almighty, if only. If only you'd been here. We know who you are. We know what you can do. If only. Weeping at his feet. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. And in his spirit, he was troubled. The one sister comes for a dialogue. The other sister comes fully emotive. And Jesus empathizes with our pain. He's familiar with the experience on a human level. And he engages with both of them at the level they're at. The one needs to have a a doctrinal discussion about how can this be, and the other one has an emotive display. And then he speaks her language too. That where both of these sisters are and how they deal with their pain, he was brilliant enough to match them at the level they were so they could speak the same language so he could be heard in the way that they're wired. This is the God we worship. He knows us individually. He knows us specifically in the way we process things, and he meets us right there. And he can empathize. Hebrews 4.15 says... We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but instead we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And the prophet Isaiah says he was a man familiar with suffering, familiar with pain. He didn't come into this world with some shield that kept him from feeling pain. He felt it, and he's feeling it now. Because their dear brother had passed away and his good friend is in the grave. And Jesus is dealing with her at this level. Then he asks, well, where have you laid him? Come and see, they replied. And Jesus wept. And he gets to the tomb, or he's on his way, and he weeps at the reality of the loss of his friend, and he weeps in sympathy of the loss of these sisters, of their brother. And then those who had been in town to mourn. I I think of sometimes in the movies, and I've seen in real life, you know, some Irish Catholics that I know, they hire the bagpipe player to come and play. I've been in New Orleans for and seen the funeral processions and just the great bands that are there leading the procession. That's what's happening here. They came 
somewhat professional mourners. And they saw. They saw how much Jesus loved him in the way he was vulnerable and mourning for his own and for his friends. That love is the basis for all of Jesus' actions. And the fact that Jesus is fully man means he can identify with our, and sympathize with our problems. And the fact that he's fully God means he can do something about it. You know, when Jesus was entering Jerusalem before he would be handed over, he stopped at some point and he knew what was going to take place. And he wept over Jerusalem and said, if only you knew what was going to happen and who I am, but yet know you're rejecting me. And he wept over the rejection of love in the flesh. And here now he's weeping again out of the loss of a loved one. And those bystanders, they saw, like, ah, oh, see how we loved him? The grief of God. The Bible tells us that God grieves. The reality is that I think that the basis of this grief goes back to the garden where Adam and Eve had full reign except for one tree. But if you eat of this tree, then surely you will die spiritually and physically. And he meant it. And they did it. And we're still feeling the effects of sin in the world. That not too long after that in the story of history, so God looked down and he grieved, he regretted, he even made mankind because everything they did was wicked. Every inclination or thought of the human heart was evil all the time. And the Lord regretted, he grieved, he was sorry that he made humans and he was deeply troubled. He said, I regret that I made them. But Noah, but Noah was a man of faith and walked with God. And he said, here we go. It's a picture of redemption. Because of sin, I'm going to redeem even though I'm grieved to the core of the effects of sin. The Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 4, where people should be growing in unity and maintaining uh, and growing in maturity. The church, the people of God who have the Spirit indwelling in them, it says when they still continue to live in sin, the Spirit grieves. Because inside of us, and we choose to make crazy decisions, the spirit inside of us is like, oh, this is not the right decision, Tim. Come on. And then Jesus grieves because sin, because sin wreaks havoc in this world. He feels the pain unlike anything we ever can. And so moved by what he had to do, God gave his son Because he so loved that whoever would believe could have eternal life. You know, we grieve the effects of sin. God grieves the effects of sin. 
the justice of God is this. The wages of sin is death. That's what he said. That's what we deserve. It's what he paid for on the cross. And then the empty tomb is the eternal life. The resurrection power of God to create new and to give life starting now. Spiritually now and physically when he comes back. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the resurrection you believe in me, that life starts today. And oh, will you be blown away by what you have coming in the future. But some, some still are questioning. We're back to this blind man again. This is like three stories in a row. This guy is so profound. Like, remember the guy that just not too long ago, he opened the eyes of the blind. Couldn't he have done something if he was here? And when Jesus was hanging on a cross, people stood watching. The rulers sneered at him and said, he saved others, can't he save himself? If he's the God's Messiah, the chosen one. Seems like people are always asking, couldn't you do something? And on the cross, if you are who you are, can't you do something and come down? He says, no, I, I am doing something. I have to stay here till it is finished. To pay the debt you can't pay so new life can come. And to be the confirmation of my payment, come back on Sunday and you will see me resurrected because I am the first fruit of many who will believe. And we have that hope for the future that is available today even in the midst of our pain. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind had kept this man from dying? No. Because then he couldn't have brought him back to life and shown the power of God on display in the life of Lazarus. So the people would understand before he resurrected from the dead that he has the power of resurrection to call out those who have died to come back to life. And and I thought about that this week. Right? We're... We're still on the heels of the loss of my my wife's sister back in December. Two years before that, her sister Mary. There's others in our family that are awaiting tests. There's others in your family who are awaiting tests. There are people in this room who are awaiting the answers of tests. That pain. God, if only. God, if only. And he answers, I am. I can redeem the years that the locusts have eaten. I can make profound change in your life. I can transform you. I can bring new life. Behold, the old is gone. The new has come. If you're in Christ, I am and I am and I will. 
but the pain, the hurt, the questions. One of my best friends in the last 30 years, we've walked through a lot. We, he's a believer, he's a pastor. We've said what if to tragic things. Our what if is just too bad we don't have this magic wand. If we had this magic wand just to wave over it, then we could fix it. But the reality is Jesus is that magic wand. And it might not change everything the way I want it in my timeline, in my plans, but I continue to live surrendered to him, to call out to the one who is the great I am, who can do. Because my best is if only. God, we come to you. We come to you, Jesus, who is the resurrection, and you did resurrect. We come to you, Jesus, who is the life, and you give life. You're giving life. You give life to everyone in this room who has believed, and you offer life for those who will say, I believe. And you know many in this room and watching God and around our country, the significant pain we're in, and you get it. You understand, you empathize, you sympathize. And Lord, I pray that that's not a platitude. I pray it's not just some bumper sticker answer. God, help us to sit with you and to hear your still small voice that says, I know, I know, I know that pain. I grieved when it was happening to you. I'm doing something in you and I'm doing something for you and I have a future and a hope that is sure. I'm giving you new life today and I'm giving you profound brand new in the future. And I am. God, I thank you for this day. God, this happens in the backdrop, too, of what we call Memorial Day weekend. For people who give their life for the sake of others. And what a vivid reminder on our calendar of the life you gave. And the hope that is sure. And the brand new life that starts and gets so much better. And I thank you that you walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. In your rod and your staff, they comfort us. God, grant comfort to the mourning. Give comfort to the hurting. And bring your resurrection power to eternal life for those in our sphere of influence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.